That was like a jam right there. I like that. You know, trust me. I don't know, man. It was good. I was singing along with you. I never heard that one. So that's, that's good stuff. Hey, uh, I wanted just to let you know, this is the week we, uh, we finish up our series that we've been going through in the summer uh, on the Psalms. And next week, starting a new series uh, with a little bit of a twist. Because you know, all through 2013, we've been considering different texts and different books of the Old Testament. But we're, we're going to look at uh, um, some characters in the Old Testament through the lens of a really awesome passage in Hebrews chapter 11. And if you don't know what that passage is, I would encourage you to read it. It's called The Great Faith Hall of Fame. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a group of individuals that have expressed great faith in God, and they point us to our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And they've gone through all kinds of different things. And so what we're going to be doing uh, beginning uh, next week is start this new series called Claiming Faith. Uh, because in one sense, uh, you know, the word claiming is a, uh, it's, an, it's an adjective. It describes the kind of faith that we have. It's a faith that, that claims us. It, it owns us, in a sense, in a positive way. Um, but it's also a verb, because we're claiming faith. We're, we're learning to trust God. And as I was thinking a lot about what does it mean to have faith in God, it's, it's learning to trust. And many of us have been wounded. We've been disappointed. We've been hurt by people. And so we need to learn how to trust God. And it's hard sometimes because we've been hurt by people. So all uh, beginning next, next uh, Sunday, we're going to do this series called Claiming Faith, Learning to Trust God. And, and what Catherine has uh, created for me is this little, this little uh, note card or, or postcard. And if you're so inclined, I invite you at the end of the service to grab one of these and to think about somebody that you might be able to say this week, hey, why don't you come and join me for worship next Sunday at my church? We're going to learn what it means to trust God. Just get one on your way out. The deacons will be providing for them, or the ushers, excuse me, and they'll have them. If you want to give one to somebody and say, why don't you come? We're going to start this new series. We've got this awesome service where we jam out. Man, it's great. Come and join us. But pick one of these up. I invite you uh, to do that. So I encourage you. Um, let's uh, consider God's Word. You know, as I, as I mentioned, we're, we're finishing up the series on the Psalms. And over and over again, I've said to you that the Psalms are words about God, that, we, that God gives to us, that we know how to speak to Him. And they're also God's Word to us, so that we know who He is and what His character is like. And so the Psalms are prayers, they're songs, uh, they're conversation between the people of God and God Himself. And so we've learned more about this compassionate, and this loving God, this God that we are called to sing to for joy, a God who is with us in our struggle and in our lament. He is a God who is with people in joy. He's with people in suffering. And He's, he's with us in the mundane activities that we deal with every single day that happen starting Monday morning at 5 o'clock something or 6 o'clock something. God is with us in all those things. And so we began this series on a reflection on Psalm number one, it demonstrated or revealed two different ways of living. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, or sits in the seat of the mockers. Um, but he delights in the law of God. And he, that image that we saw was like a tree which bears fruit in its season. There's two different ways that we can live. One is the way of, of, uh, of the wicked, where we fall away from God's law. And the other is the way of goodness and life. And that's been revealed to us. And today we end our series on one of the last 
books of the Psalms. They're broken up into different sections. There are Psalms of Lament. I mentioned in one, there are Psalms of Discipleship, all different types of Psalms. But this last Psalm uh, set is 146 through 150. Uh, these last Psalms are called Praise Psalms because every single one of them begins with Praise the Lord. Which is actually in, in the Hebrew is actually just the word Hallelujah. So did you know that when you're saying the word hallelujah, you are saying praise the Lord. I read about a pastor one time named Roy Clements who's in England. He had a sermon on these last psalms and he observed that there are three words that are understood in every language. Amen, hallelujah, and Coca-Cola. Now we know what amen means, right? Who knows what amen means? I know they've been studying it in, children, in Sunday school. It means I agree, or yes, truly. And Coca-Cola, we all know about that. But what does hallelujah mean? I, I know that our culture has, in a sense, trivialized uh, the word hallelujah, as it has so many other biblical terms. Not long ago, there was an ad for, uh, for Nicorette gum, which is supposed to help people uh, stop smoking. And it showed a, a package of gum bursting through majestic clouds while the sun shone through with his display of glory. And the ad said, Nicorette gum is now available full strength without a prescription. Hallelujah. Well, I would submit to you that uh, the defeat of an entrenched habit like uh, smoking is cause for celebration. But I think it's a trivialization of the word hallelujah to associate it with gum. And so all throughout these psalms, we have journeyed with them, the writers, as they share their grief and their shame and their sin and their doubts and their fears. We've seen the people of God in their defeat and in their victory. There is rebellion and there is struggling faith. But that is all behind us now. Now all that's left to do is to praise the Lord. So hallelujah. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man in whom there is no salvation. When His breath departs, He returns to the earth. On that very day, His plans perish. Blessed is He whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given to us that has stood the test of time. May it cause in us a response of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you know, if you've noticed if you knew about this or not, but there was uh, recently, in recent months, there was this strange uh, illness uh, that had fallen over uh, the British Isles. Uh, people couldn't sleep. 
there was a great sense of anxiety. They were talking all the time. And then actually this, this virus began to spread around the world, predominantly in the British, among the British Empire or in uh, those lands that were formerly British uh, Empire like ours. It was only recently, though, diagnosed as baby fever. Baby fever. Right? You remember? As the royal babies do day near. There was this frantic pursuit of knowledge. What gender will this baby be? What is the weight? What is the length of this baby? How are we going to know what the baby is going to be like? You know, you could even put uh, wagers on the weight and the height. You could even wager on the name. And uh, there were some interesting names that were submitted at uh, lots of different odds. But finally, George Alexander Lewis won out. You know, what's the big fuss about this baby? You know, it's hard to say for sure because there are, are literally hundreds of thousands of babies that are born every day and most of them have very little attention paid to them compared to Prince George. You know, why is it that we were on baby watch? Or maybe that you were on baby watch? I don't know. Well, this baby's a prince. He's, he's royalty, right? And even though he isn't going to be the king for a very long time, and he'll never be our king because we kicked him out a long time ago. There's something fascinating to us about the royal family. I mean, you know, what's interesting to me is that he's never really going to have any power in uh, British government, even if he is the king, because it's a constitutional monarchy. And if you go on their website, it says, you know, they go out and uh, present themselves as the royal family. That's the task of the royal family. Uh, they don't get to make the laws. Um, so, in a sense, this prince is like most real princes in the world, even if they have earthly power before the Lord, they have no power. None. Verse 3 says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that day, his plans perish. The day that the prince dies, his plans perish with him. The psalmist writes that we should not look to people for our ultimate hope because even princes that have power to govern, unlike Prince George, when they return to the earth, their plans go with them. And so in these days, in the Bible times, it might be possible that some people actually look to a prince to protect them. Now remember, it was a, maybe a lawless time and security wasn't as significant and so people were vulnerable to attack or to abuse. And so a governor that had military power might be looked to for protection or for security. And even today, there are people who look to the government for their security. Some would say that the government is what should provide every need for every person. It's the government's responsibility to take care of these things. And others believe that it's the government's responsibility to provide for all of our ultimate security. Whenever there is a, a threat of violence of any kind, the appropriate response is always a counterattack. It's a, a display of force, shock, and awe. But one of the things that the psalmist does for us is invites us into the presence of God. And in the midst of this psalm of praise, in the midst of the hallelujah, the psalmist encourage us gently to consider what is our prince. 
It may not be the government, but it's likely something else. Each one of us, you and I, have a prince, as it were, something that we look to, something that gives us security, something other than the Lord that we look to for our significance and our hope. And so I'm just inviting you now to to consider and to think through what is it that God is saying to you about what your prince might be. Is there some prince that you've been trusting in or looking to for security? Of course, many look to money for security. Others look to their family pedigree, their lineage, as it were. Maybe the education that you've received. Maybe it's your business. One good way to find out what your prince is is to ask the question, what if you lost it would devastate you? What, when threatened, makes you respond with anger? Maybe it's your schedule, your order of life and the way things ought to be. Maybe it's affirmation or respect of others. The hard truth is that for all of us, these things, these princes, can and will fail. They will fail in the end. Why? Because they have no power in the end. They are like Prince George, constitutional monarchs, things that seem to have power but actually don't really have any power. We think about the most significant uh, civilizations or governments that have ever existed, the Ottoman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, uh, the, the Han Dynasty, the Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, all these empires. Where are they now? What should we say about America in our 237 years of existence? Will we always be what we are? Unlikely. But we can trust not in princes, but in the Lord. Verse 5 says this, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed. You see, we trust in the Lord because He is trustworthy. He has demonstrated His faithfulness to His people. He has demonstrated His faithfulness to you throughout the history of your life. He is powerful enough to create the world. He is powerful enough to be with you in the midst of your struggle right now. And you see, this Lord loves us, loves you, and loves me so much that he would never let you hang on to a worthless and powerless prince. In his overwhelming grace and mercy, he helps us to see that those things that we're trusting in, that those things that we're looking to, are not worthwhile, but rather that he is worthy. The sheer force of his love allows us to see that these princes, or to see them for what they are, and to see them for who he is. Verse 6 says, He is the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The sea, who keeps faith forever. God keeps faith forever. And when we think about that love that God extends to us, when we consider His infinite love, then, then it changes us. It helps us to reorient our lives away from the worthless princes of the world toward Him. You know, when I come home uh, in, the, in the evening from work, and this, this was, uh, I used to do this with all the little kids, but, but now it's, I've got this little 11-month-old Annie Karras who I can pick up or sit down on my lap and 
I'll put her on my knee and she'll look at me with her eyes and smile and laugh and make these sweet little sounds. And, and even when I'm discouraged or if I feel tired, uh, just her presence, just being with her, provides rest for me. Uh, there are other hours of the day in the middle of the night that are not restful, but in those moments, it's restful for me because I love her as her father. And my love for her and for my, all of my children is great, but you know she really doesn't give me anything. Um, if I was uh, brokenhearted, it would not affect her sleeping. I mean, if I was injured or in great pain, she would still go about her daily activities of play. She would still probably go over to the laundry basket and pull out all the folded clothes and put them on a pile. Or she would go over to the little cupboard with all the cups and pull them all out and spread them around. She would continue in her way of life. In truth, if I died, she would probably not even remember me. And she has never brought me one single penny. In fact, she, to me, has been a constant expense. And I'm not rich, but there is no amount of money in the world that I would take for her or any of my other precious children. So does she love me or do I love her? Do I withhold my love from her until she is able to respond to me in a loving way? Am I waiting for her to do something for me before I begin to love and care for her? Absolutely not. And it's the same way with you and I. God is loving us in infinite ways that we can't even comprehend before we're able to understand. He is pursuing and He's loving and He's caring. And every once in a while, we we get a glimpse of that love. And then we begin to see more of His character. We can see that we can trust Him, that He is good. In the same way that as Anna Karis grows, she will also see my love for her in ways that she couldn't understand. And as God loves us in this way, we're changed by Him. We begin to turn away from the princes of this world and turn our hearts more wholeheartedly toward His. But you notice in this passage, what's interesting to me is that God never identifies Himself with the prince, but rather with the pauper the poor one. The Lord says in verse 7, who executes, the Lord is the one who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And notice it says here, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners, the widow, the fatherless. Instead of connecting himself to the, to the wealthy and to the powerful, the Lord identifies himself with the weak, with the disabled, the, the sojourner, the immigrant. The Lord cares about the one who can't see, the one who is without a husband or without a father. You know, it would be, be easy for the creator of the earth, after all, to say, look at all the majestic and awesome things I have done. Check me out. And there are places when God does that because it's appropriate for Him to do it. But He never says, hey, look, I'm connected to the most powerful kings in all the lands. I'm right here, me and Genghis Khan, man. We're like powerful. He often speaks to the power of the world with disdain. In Psalm 2 it says, the kings of the earth set themselves 
And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. But He says, My King I place on My holy hill. And I speak to them out of My wrath. They are terrified in My fury. These kings mean nothing. They're just scurrying around trying to gain their own power. The Lord doesn't identify with them. He identifies with the weak, the humble, the lowly, the outsider, the foreigner. And this is totally counter to the way you and I live our lives, isn't it? When was the last time you met a homeless person and you got your picture taken with them and you put it on Facebook? But let me tell you, if you meet a celebrity, even a pseudo-celebrity, and just by God's providence, you happen to be walking in the same area as another person, you say, I met this person, and you put your picture up with him, don't you? Or you find him, get me an autograph of a famous person, because we want to identify ourselves with the powerful and the great. We, I'm including myself in this. But you know, there are thousands of babies born every day, and there's only one person that even cares about them, and that's the mama. But the Lord, in identifying with the outcast, loves each and every one of those precious little babies. And it seems to me that God is calling us to care less about the royal baby and more about the baby who is born with much less fanfare. Now, it's not wrong to care about Prince George. It's fascinating. It's part of our history, in a sense. But if we aren't caring in any way about the other little babies or maybe one of those or one of those widows or one of the fatherless, we're not being faithful because we're not caring in the way that the Lord cares. You see, in reality though, it is very, very good that the Lord cares about this group of people. It's very important that He cares for and identifies with this group of people because you see, brothers and sisters, that is what we are. We are the ones who are oppressed by the enemy. Verse 7. The enemy who would seek to hold us down. We are starving for spiritual food. Often never able to get a sustaining spiritual meal because we're often too filled up with the junk food of this life. We are prisoners enslaved by the tyranny of sin desperately in need of finding freedom so that we can live in joy. We are often blind to our own brokenness, unable or unwilling to see our need for forgiveness. And we too are, are sojourners who are living in a foreign land. You know, God cares so much for these people, these kind of people, the kind of people who are sitting in the pews next to you, the kind of people who are speaking to you even now that He became like this Himself so that we would be able to know His love. Think about this. Jesus was oppressed by the devil and tempted in the desert. He allowed Himself to be hungry for our sake. He allowed Himself to be imprisoned with a physical body. He limited His own power so that He could take on our sin. He gave up His eternal eyesight, His eternal vision so that we would be able to see God. He allowed Himself to become a foreigner, an alien, an immigrant, so that we could have our citizenship in heaven. He became a servant so that one day He would be a king. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, became a pauper so that you and I could be made wealthy. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And don't you know that once you see yourself as poor but made rich in Jesus, 
then you don't see people as outsiders or second class. But you see them just like you. Sinners who are broken but in desperate need of grace and love. Will you put your hope in Jesus and and worship Jesus as the only utterly trustworthy being in this universe? If not, your only alternative is despair and cynicism for people will always let you down. Princes will let you down. Politicians will let you down. Your family will let you down. Your job, your retirement, everything you have or could want will ultimately let you down. But Jesus never will for salvation comes from the Lord Jonah tells us. Jesus alone is utterly good, utterly powerful, utterly trustworthy. Why settle for less? The Lord Jesus is the only being about whom we can honestly and truly say, Hallelujah. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the grace you've given to us. For loving us and caring for us and calling us into new relationship and expanding our view of you. Uh, confronting us with the princes that we trust in, but loving us so much that you would never leave us there. Help us to turn from those princes, to acknowledge them as something that has power in our lives, that has that we look to for security. Help us to see that it's true, it's real. But then embrace us with your love as we turn to you to bring forgiveness, to bring hope, and a new way of living. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.